Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, welcome to Food for Thought, where a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, identity, culture, what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought, at the intersection of hell and no. <laughs> I'm Tommy Pico, indigenous American poet, editor, and yes, I made out with your man in the hotel lobby this weekend. <laughs> and he's talking to a woman in that story. Don't uh, make I'm, stink faces at people at parties. <laughs> I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, piggy verse boy who managed to pray the straight away. Ooh. Ooh. Is that P-R-A-Y or P-R-E-Y? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Fran, writer, editor, and I have accepted Cher as my lord and savior. <laughs> <laughs> so religious this time. Twitter game on, though. Mm. Oh, man. And I'm Dennis, and I'm a writer, reader, former figure skater, and perennial accidental Homewrecker. Oh, true. Well, all right then. Fran, will you tell us what's on the menu this week? Hey guys, for our amuse bouche, we play a little game. Joe breaks down why science makes us gay. We talk about the sovereignty of the gay space. And finally, punching Nazis. Swipe left or swipe right. Here we go. Let's do Mm. it. Mmm, I'm feeling a little peckish. How are y'all doing? Mm, pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think we should start the top of this show off the way any good top should, with our uproarious appetizer segment, Amuse Boosh. Mm. And to amuse your booshes today, we're going to play a little game called Swipe Right, Swipe Left. Are you ready? I love this game. Yes. It's, it's a personal favorite. So I'm going to start off gentle. And just, and just then, remind me again, because I've never swiped IRL. Left bad. Stop humble bragging. Okay, right. yeah, that's rude. Yeah, okay. Swipe, swipe, I've swipe, enough. swipe left is a no. Swipe okay. right okay. is a yes. Okay. And here's the mnemonic device uh, in a box to the left. Oh, yes. Be- I mean, Beyonce Got just it. answers all Got of the it. important questions. You'll never forget it now. All right, so here we go. Um, Rihanna leaving clubs with wine glasses. Hard right. right. The hardest right, right ever. It's honestly right. like I could have like a photograph of one of those photographs like, engraved on my grave it's like, yeah, like my it's tombstone like when you see your crush that you have never spoken yeah. to on grinder those are life like, goals yes this that's mm-hmm. now my actual 20, 2017 goal is to do that it's my sexuality yeah. I mean, it's my my absolutely <laughs> my, my sexual orientation <laughs> all right uh next up betsy devos <gasps> oh, oh, swipe left, left. um <sighs> no discussion i just threw up a little in my mouth yeah. <laughs> so um family Reading your writing. Ooh, left, 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 left. Biggest left. 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 Mm. I just pretend anytime they mention my writing, I just block it out and I say, What are you talking about? I'm not yeah. a writer. I write a ton Swipe. about sex and sexuality, uh, HIV. And my mother, my parents are so great. They not only read it, but they send it to everybody. Mine too. It's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. My father no, sent my my first book to my pediatrician <gasps> and all of her doctors. So she hit me up on email like, I really liked IRL. You should come back to the res. And I was like, you don't know me anymore. <laughs> Can I tell you, my I'm mother fine. had a conversation with me about the HPV vaccine after reading one of my pieces. Oh, my God. I do not know. I want, I want, um, I want my family to tell me that I'm brilliant. And I want them to be happy that I'm writing and I want them to be willing to pay my bills when I can't pay my bills because I'm a writer, but I don't want them reading my work or talking about it Never, or sending ever, it to ever. anyone. I really envy, you know, pastry chefs where their parents can just be like, Oh, these are <laughs> these great are pastries. Like I love this. Like <laughs> yes. that would be a lot easier for me to process. That's so much more simple. Yeah. 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 Fran, 
rolling up to teach kids with dried cum on his shirt. <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh Tommy, you're and putting I'm me on blast. A, and he'll never it, teach again. I'm going to swipe right. And right. let's be honest, who hasn't done that at one I mean, point my or hand, another? My hand is in the air. Like, okay. All right, so Play for, it with as much sex as you you have. I wipe it up. And there's as a, long... There are rags for that. I swallow, so usually there's... Okay, context for everyone. One, There was a year where I spent my summers uh, tutoring uh, kids on in creative writing programs um, for underfunded kids in the city um, of Chicago. And I was also seeing a guy who was like fine um but we had, <laughs> he we, we had like amazing morning sex and i don't know what i don't remember what we had done but somehow i exited the premises with dried cum but without on knowing my shirt without knowing without it knowing. so i went to go teach this class of like third graders and a kid, i remember like i was halfway through the class and like i was on an, in a one-on-one with one of these kids and one of the, the kid goes what's that on your shirt no. and i was like oh it's um Pancake batter. <laughs> I was making pancakes this morning. This morning. A, a lesson so for all of you baby thoughts out there. That if you ever find dried cum on anything, just say you were making breakfast. It was yeah. pancake batter. It was carelessness. But let he who cast the first. Let's see who's not done it. Cast the first. Exactly. Song. And we, every good we thought have all should, been messy. Every We've good thought should be able to think on their feet, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. next up, average size peen. Yes, right. Absolutely right. Right. Um, Swipe so laugh. And it's just so, if, in case you don't know Swipe our voices laugh. yet, that is Dennis. <laughs> um, Remember yeah. it well. I, Dennis likes a baby arm. I mean, listen, listen. <laughs> I I was I was built for a big one. It's, I literally just it. made a move to clutch my pearls. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's God made me for that. Um, Zadie Smith. I'm right. I lo- she's one of the first okay. writers that I loved growing up so i have not i've yet to finish one of her books i can't get through an entire book but absolutely swipe right because she is an incredible writer as i've heard (laughs) (laughs) and also she's like i'm so all the way for women who are geniuses and also hot babes she's yeah. such a hot i babe. saw her walking yeah. across washington square park the other Fuck day and just off. followed her for like five minutes just to be in her aura not creepy at all um, okay. so my my favorite moment um in in dealing with zadie smith was when i read on beauty and she made it very clear that the male protagonist of the novel the patriarch had an eight inch dick and i was like i am here for you oh, God, as all. literary as that book is i was that's a good one that's okay, a good okay. yeah actually you know what i have read on on, I think it's called On Joy. It's one of her essays that was okay. on I like her a, a B-side website her that was great. great. I remember really loving that. But yeah, yeah I have not essay, yet If you haven't it. read it, if you um, read her essay on Facebook, it's also great. Yeah, I would turn for her, just mm-hmm. putting that out there, Zadie, Absolutely. if you're Absolutely. If she's a top. Yeah. If she's, yeah. <laughs> if she's rude. Yeah. She'll peg but you. But true. Yes, true. <laughs> um, how about peeing on somebody? Right. So, uh, um, um, I, I, I don't want to neg what I haven't tried. So... Um, can, is there just like an option that's like just stay abstain. in the middle abstain, abstain. I guess I'll, I'll have to say right but I've you never can't, tried that you, but you can't abstain on Tinder like you have yeah, to you, you have to pick one oh, to God, move forward you're right okay so I'll say right because go for it I'm gonna say left okay. I, I but wait how about being peed on Dennis I'm gonna swipe left gonna swipe unless left you've given me a diamond ring of a certain size mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I, I feel like I don't have a, a relationship to it either way. It's not something that does anything for me, but I remember having this ex boyfriend who wasn't really forthcoming about his kinks, but we were at the beach and we were uh, there were some uh jellyfishes that passed by and I was like, Oh, be careful or I'm gonna have to pee on you and he was like, Uh is that something oh. you would do? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh, oh. And while yeah, like I said, it doesn't do anything for me, watching somebody get pleasure can be a real turn on can yeah. i can i i just thought it's a super brief story but like the first time it happened it was totally an accident i was wait i was dating this boy i was in my 20s i was wasted we were both in the shower we had both been drinking all night beer and we both really had to pee and we were messing around and we just started peeing and what happened was it it was just this feeling of like being hard it's kind of hard to pee when you're hard and so it's like almost like an extended orgasm well it's like changing lanes in traffic it, you know it, so yeah. It, yeah. it just like it, i didn't it wasn't a fetish it was it would just happen and i was like that was kind of awesome yeah um dennis sitting down to pee uh, <laughs> <left>. <laughs> oh my god swipe right i m- 
primarily sit down while I pee. It's so much more relaxing. Just I the just mental think image. I can't take it. Okay. I think it's. I think it's great. I, so I started sitting down to pee when I was in, I think, first or second grade, oh because God. I went to pee once. I like woke up. I went to pee, and I had what I didn't know at the time was a little stiffy. Oh. And when I went to like like zip something back up, there was a little catch and a little. Oh rip. no! Oh my God! Trauma. And, a, and after that, I was like, I'm sitting down to pee. Trauma. Now, obviously, at gay clubs, I will often stand up to pee because they don't have a toilet where I would want to sit mm, um, or even could. Um, so I now do both, but it's nice to sit down and okay, pee. Okay, so contrast to that, I, um, in my later years now, decided that I would start peeing sitting down because I'm exhausted. <laughs> but also, you and I are yes. tall, yeah. and it's just easier that way. And I, I, we work so hard. <laughs> I deserve that moment. I mean, there's the so much, real. There's so much solitude in just sitting down and taking that moment for yourself. I, I just... Sitting down to pee is like the modern smoking. It's like that break to go outside to yeah. just relax. To maybe but it's be sitting much down. better for your body. Clearly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The following pickup line... Mm. Boy, I wish I was a squirrel and you were a tree so I could bust a nut inside you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even need to answer. I would go on a date with anyone who said that to me. <laughs> I, no. I right, can't. No. I can't. I no. can't. Right, right, Where right, that, right. Where is that, that guy no. going to take you? Applebee's? No. <laughs> I love Applebee's. No. I also love Applebee's. Can we be sponsored by Applebee's? You guys, I love it there. Bloomin' Onions. <laughs> um... And for the final swipe right, swipe left, Joe's Gmail profile picture. Oh, I hate it so much. (laughs) Swipe left. I swipe right. I'm here for it. I think it's adorable. That picture is like, like... I look at it and I think, oh, that's the boy that I would have had a crush on him when I did okay, date in it college. Was ten years ago. For, yeah, for those right, of you who have right. not had the pleasure of emailing Joseph, it is like a yellow background, and I believe he's wearing like a baby blue blazer yes. and mm-hmm. wearing these like a knit tie. Bl- yeah, and a knit tie with these Blues Brothers sunglasses on. <laughs> Accurate. And and he just he has this kind of like it's very retro. Per- yeah, he looks like the protagonist in like. A, a movie that went straight to DVD. <laughs> you know? No, I feel like when I see that picture, it like, was vicious, vicious, vicious. He looks like he he was playing a nice boy like in church, and he's just left church. And he's gonna come and like fuck your brain. He got his hair all messed That's what yeah. I was going for. Yeah, but, um, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down, Joe. I'm here for it. That's why everyone thinks we're dating everywhere we go. I, I know, it's true. You can't keep your hands off my ass. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, and moving on. <laughs> Thank I'm, you not, s- I'm not mad at it. Thank you hard so- it likes the attention. <laughs> Thank you so much for playing that game with us. <laughs> so for our next Ugh. segment that we're calling School of Thought, spelled T-H-O-T, Joe is going to drop some gay science on us, I oh believe. Oh my god, the gayest of the most sciencey, you guys. Because Joe is a scientist, just put so, it out there. Yeah, this is my day job, and uh, you know, I always... Early in my scientific career, I was like very, you know, science is me, queerness is me, and they're kind of separate. Um, and in grad school, it's at one point, it was right in the middle of like the Lady Gaga, I was born this way, blah, blah, blah. And I was talking to a friend just about the limitations of that framework. So I ended up writing an essay that was, or an article, this is actually a scholarly article that was about gay science mm-hmm. and about how gayness uh, is understood um, by the law. So whether or not gayness is innate, it actually is important for whether or not at the time states were granting gay marriage or not Hmm. so this question Mm. of immutability has legal a legal standing so you know if there's a gay gene people were arguing that that would help us get our rights because we can say we can't help if we're gay being gay is innate it's in our body so you can't discriminate against us and there is legal standing for that in the courts so i started researching this is not really my field but it's kind of my field adjacent Mm -hmm. um and it's a super complicated question because um you know, it's not a simple, like any human behavior is basically, it's not controlled by one gene. For so sure. it's like basically human genetics is complicated. And it's a dynamic process. It's a super dynamic yeah. process. It's like, I mean, it's obviously, it's not a behavior. Sexuality is not one behavior, right? It's like dick sucking and hand holding and all the different things that we cruise at. It's just like, you know, there's a, there's a lot that goes into Holding it. hands on the way to the deli. Mm. So gay. <laughs> yeah, so gay. Um, <laughs> going to see musicals. Screaming uh, the new Katy Perry single. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, all genetic. <laughs> 
So in human genetics, the only clear-cut cases were the ones that were discovered really early in the 70s and 80s, where it's like a single gene that affects a disease. And these are the super famous ones, like the the BRCA genes for breast cancer, um, genes for cystic, cystic fibrosis and Huntington's disease. It's like one single gene causes a phenotype, which just means like a characteristic that you can monitor biologically. Is that what's called Mendelian? So that is indeed Mendelian, yeah. And it's simple. It's like you can trace it. I was going to go to medical school, y'all. She was a pre-med. <laughs> At Sarah Lawrence. Um, no shade. No shade. I went to Sarah the most Lawrence. Most homosexual no medical school. <laughs> um, but behaviors are controlled by many genes, and typically many hundreds of genes. So basically, the only way you can, one of the best ways to study it is actually twin studies. And those some of the earliest studies on sexuality were done with twins, because twins, um, normal siblings, typical siblings, will carry 50% of the same genes. But twins, obviously identical twins, have 100% of the same DNA. So um, it gets at like nature versus nurture. If two twins are separated at birth, but they have the same DNA and have grown up in different environments, but they're more likely than random to carry the same characteristic, that means there's something in the genes that has something to do with that behavior. Mm. So they did some of these early studies um, on twins and on siblings, and they find that there is like some heritability to baggagery. Mm. So, like, there is some genetic component that has nothing to do with environment. Mm. And that basically, you know, that was years and years ago, and it hasn't gone anywhere beyond that. And my kind of critique of the whole thing is that, like, like we already kind of knew that. It's like you know that, like, faggotry runs in families, right? So yeah. that there's that there's some component that is, has something to do with your body. Like, um, we've known that for a long time. So I also find that it's kind of an inadequate... It comes from an inadequate understanding, like a lay inadequate understanding of... Like genetics itself, totally, exactly, and, and science in general. Because exactly. how do you? I mean, this is the problem with law and with science, right? You have to make it objective in order mm. to be able to legislate or whatever or to get right. funding X, Y, and Z. But right, 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 but right. that it, mm-hmm. it being a dynamic process, it involves like I don't know, I don't know science stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. science. But so I actually find it fascinating. <laughs> some of the earliest people who were doing these studies, there were there were researchers who were working on other things. There was not a lot of funding for this stuff obvi- for obvious Ooh. reasons. But they were faggots. They were homosexual scientists who kind of wanted to understand their own sexuality. Mm. So beautiful. And that's awesome. No, see, it actually makes me want to vomit all over the place. Oh. Because, oh. Be- because like your sexuality, like it's it, in a way it's internalized homophobia. It's trying to explain that your mm. faggotry is not your fault. Right, and this was all also uh, happening a lot in the early '90s. Um, Dean Hammer's original studies on um, what gene might be causing it was 1993. So people were dying of HIV at the time, mm-hmm. right? So it's like you have this community that's super marginalized. It's super easy to internalize kind of that that self hatred. Try to understand mm-hmm. why am I this way, uh, and look for biological reason reasons for something that might not even have those underpinnings. Um, so I find that super interesting. A lot of people don't. Um, it also reminds me of like uh, genetic um, getting like a gene- genetic testing to figure mm-hmm. out like what what race you are. There's um, a scholar and kind of a quasi friend of mine, this woman named Olandra Nelson, who's a, a black woman scholar, um, wrote this book um, called The Social Life of DNA, in, in which she argues that the meaning that a particular black American people who had their ancestry like violently stripped from them, mm-hmm. that like you can make meaning from these genetic tests that does work to repair the harm of slavery. Uh, there are other scholars who have argued um, the opposite of that, basically saying that trying to medicalize our bodies will almost always do violence back to ourselves. And it sounds like a framework we, well, using the using the master's tools kind of a that's thing. That's exactly right. So yeah. I kind of want to tie this up with a quote um, from Foucault uh, on uh, from his uh, History of Sexuality, Volume 1, in which he introduces this idea of biopower, which is kind of a foundational uh, text in science studies, kind of scholars that try to understand how science works in culture and society and power. Um, and this, I think, speaks to all of this. He says, Homosexu- homosexuality began to speak on its own behalf to demand that its legitimacy or its, quote, naturality be acknowledged often in the same vocabulary, using the same categories by which it was medically disqualified. There is not on one side a discourse of power and on the opposite side a discourse that runs counter to it. So it's like this impulse of these gay scientists to understand their sexuality Mm -hmm. through scientific terms and explain it away actually might not be the right answer. And Mm -hmm. actually what the right answer is more like we're faggots, it doesn't matter why, I love sucking dick, and 
who else cares? Like, you mm-hmm. shouldn't be able to kill me for that. Yeah. Do you also think, though, that there's a particular danger in, um, in, in trying to find an underlying genetic component to sexuality in the sense that <clears throat> then that gene could be manipulated later Perse- on? Exactly. Yeah. That's, I think, what Foucault is exactly arguing, that, that some trying to use the medicalized terms that have been used violently to understand ourselves, there's a, the double-edged sword of that, that that same power can be used to, to redo violence. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, scientists can do what they want to research, but I know that I made the conscious decision to be gay when I was <laughs> when I was in third grade. Oh. And I saw Michael Mackey enter the lunchroom, and he was so cute, and I was like, "That's it, I'm gonna be gay this now." Is the life I choose. Same. I also when I saw I Brad H walk into it, it wasn't Brad M, it was Brad H. <laughs> oh, you're protecting their identity. My God, <laughs> you remember the exact boy? Well, I. I've always, like, sort of had thoughts about that conversation because I remember that when people first started talking about, like, marriage equality, re- that when that wasn't even the term we were using, um, that I, when I became aware of it when I was in high school, um, the reasoning that people would say that gay people should deserve rights is because, oh, well, like, being gay isn't a choice, it's so it can't fault, be wrong. It's not their fault. But that, that same reason that it's wrong. That implies that it's wrong, but that they couldn't help it. And many times people have used that same kind of language when talking about brown people um, and people of color, that it's like, it's not their fault. Um, and yeah, the underlying assumption there is still that it's wrong or that it's a problem or that it isn't totally natural actually right. whereas more modern queer scholars would argue that act like the notions of queer futurity or these notions of of like queerness actually as a, a mode of life that increases possibility and mm-hmm. doesn't constrain it i think that's the more type of scholarship yeah. that i'm interested in investing yeah. in my life in. i'm not even a hundred percent sure what gay futurity means that sounds like you know homos in like spaceman costumes <laughs> <Does> it, <does laughs> however but I, I was just gonna say like i do feel like we or at least in our, our bubble of conversations in the world that we live in is moving past the idea mm-hmm. of searching for the gay gene. Yes. i feel like when i was um, first coming out, this was the hot topic. Yeah, That's right. You I know, agree. I do feel like we've, we're moving past it. In and, and I hope we don't regress as attacks on queer people and queer people with all sorts of intersecting identities um, ratchet up in the next few years. That there, there can be this notion that we've made all this progress, but now we have to, in order to fight, you know, to save, for example, marriage equality, we're going to have to go back to talking about how it's not our fault that we're gay. So you can't just, no, it's like we've had that conversation. And- well, exactly. And eventually, like, someone on the other side will have the balls to push <clears throat> back on that. And they might say, well, it may not be your fault, but that still doesn't mean that you deserve blah, 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 blah. Like, it's not... I feel like it's a specious... Like, that's a specious idea to even base, like, political progress on. I agree and disagree. I think that, you know, I have an ex who worked at GLAAD, for example, and a lot of their marketing was to the quote-unquote movable middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, these modes of discourse, these notions of it's not, it's not, you know, I was born this way, is incredibly, was incredibly effective marketing yeah. and getting gay marriage. It actually right. worked. It, it worked. So, <laughs> it did. But just because it worked doesn't mean it's the way in which the, we should continue having the conversation. Right. Gaga well, rebranded <clears throat> us or something. <laughs> yes. Fuck the what? movable middle. Fuck the IDC. Yes, exactly. Fuck your president. Not well, mine. And, <laughs> well, and also, right, like, who's, like, who's in power right now at this moment? Is it the movable middle? Like, right. like the opposition, when the opposition changes, then what they're going to throw at you may change too. Mm. And then you have to evolve your arguments. So I just, I remember being in high school thinking like, I feel like this is not the right tack for these conversations, but I didn't really know any better. And I think it, it better. speaks to the importance of spaces like we're embodying in this room and like we're embodying in this podcast yes, where it's like, please. we're actually allowed to forget the movable middle and not use that to drive our discourse. It's like mm-hmm. we, right. we are allowed in this space to be the rav- radical self-loving faggots that we are. Oh, who that's embrace so romantic. Oh, Dick sucking wow. on sticky ass floors in clubs. Wow, you're like the Jane Austen <laughs> faggotry. I'm, I'm sorry that you're salty about the fact that I was bougie about that club, but it, Dennis and I, I were in a club this weekend where the floors were so sticky that I almost fell over dancing because my shoes stuck to it. That's so um, yeah, that's beautiful. I, I embraced it and loved it, and Dennis was like, "I'm leaving." <laughs> I was, I was like, "One drink." Let's, drink. let's 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 take a look at gay spaces. Yes, yeah, that's, yes. I think that's what we're all driving towards. So, you guys, I'm so sorry. I have to pee really badly. Can I I'm gonna <laughs> do it. I'm gonna do it sitting down. <laughs> yeah, Wait, talk about you, a gay space. Can you do it on me. Can, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, show. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury. 
because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to mercuryinsurance.com today to get a quote. It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal health care, and even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Healthcare is backwards. Luckily, there's Forward, a new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward. Forward never makes you feel like just another patient. Backed by top-rated doctors and the latest tech, Forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it. Using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work, Forward's top-rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics, mental, and physical health. They then create custom, easy-to-understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health. With Forward, you get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards health care and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Peace to the planet, Charlemagne the God here. And you don't want to miss Hello Somebody with Senator Nina Turner on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I love Hello Somebody simply because I love Nina Turner. She's fearless. I'm Nina Turner, hell-raising humanitarian, sister in the struggle, and recovering elected official. Listen to Hello Somebody every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so I think it's time that we move on to the meat of our conversation, the thought process, if you would, mm. spelled how? T-H-T-H-O-T. Um, in this title, we're alternately calling Make America Gay Again, or This Is a Gay Space. I'm going to tell you how I arrived at the decision to make this the um, subject of our podcast this week. So yeah, I just because got- he, it, he like took off another subject that we were planning on doing and Tommy was like we are absolutely doing this we just bumped it like it's not like he eliminated it <laughs> I'm right. sorry what mm. okay he's so not sorry at all <laughs> no, no, because, yeah don't okay, lie bitch we how, see you yeah here's how it happened right so I just got done from a little spell in LA um and I was consequently also finishing up Black Wave by Michelle T, which is this apocalyptic kind of drug-addled queer. I was going to call it coming of age, but yeah. it's more like an end of days. Well, it's and both, she, and, and she it, refers and to it as a speculative med- memoir because and it's it, based on her life, but takes place in a post-apocalyptic era. And it ends in L.A. Right? Yeah. So um, one of the reasons why it was fortuitous that I was in L.A. and reading this book about L.A. is she dis- um, she works at an unnamed used bookstore. And the way that she described it, it was like this sort of cavernous place with like these rows of books that went up to the ceiling and they also sold like used records and used DVDs. And I was wandering around downtown LA finishing this book and I walked into this shop called The Last Bookstore. And as I looked around, it was exactly the way that she described the bookstore in the book. And I was just, I was so, I don't know, like my ears were buzzing. It was like I took a shot. Yeah. And so I was, I just, I spent the entire day in that bookstore and I read screenplays. I'm working on an adaptation myself. So I read Adaptation, which is an Mm -hmm. adaptation of The Orchid Thief. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I read Black Acre by Monica Ewan and I started Swing Time by Zadie Smith. And I started to understand the main character in Black Wave, Michelle T. Well, Michelle, her name is Michelle. Um, as the world is crumbling, she spends more and more time in the bookstore. Right. Mm-hmm. And that has become, or that is a sort of primordial place of comfort for her. Mm-hmm. And I started and, to, Right, and that's at the same time. She gets sober at that time. Mm-hmm. She reconnects with her brother. So it's like this, this homecoming mm-hmm. centered around this place as the world's falling apart. But also, 
as a queer sanctuary for her. Because the her coworker there is gay. Yes, mm-hmm. and I started to realize that like my primordial understanding of the book so it was one of comfort, one of salvation almost from a hostile world mm-hmm. against queer people mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and queer POC too. And I was thankful enough to um, have access to a gay bookstore in San Diego called obelisk (laughs) and it was a place that i could go and i could read um you know giovanni's room and i could look at um postcards Mm. with like you know muscular men with neon Mm -hmm. swimsuits on them and crews too Mm -hmm. like i got to i my i got to run the gamut of all of my literary and thoughty interests Um, and so i guess my (laughs) first question to y'all is was there a place that you were was there a specifically designated gay space where you could ferry your sort of fairy selves as you were quote unquote coming of age? Did you have <laughs> access to a gay bookstore or a gay anything? I have two answers. Um, my, the short answer is, and the, oh my god, every single gay is going to be like me too. But like th- theater club for me was that space when I was like eighteen mm-hmm. years old. It was the it was the first space that I one was exposed is the first gay person I ever met was in theater club. It was a huge community in my high school. We produced 10 plays a year. We, I directed stuff. I wrote plays. Um, and we produced a lot of, uh, um, shows throughout the year. And I was with these people constantly. So just by the nature of like relationships with people who were okay with the fact that it was, uh, okay to be gay. Um, that was a part of that like first gay space for me. But the longer answer is um, when I first went to uh, school at Indiana University, um, I uh, got a job writing uh, an opinion column for the newspaper. And I was newly out of the closet, new, like it was like a year and a half old, maybe. And it was a year and a half old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm. Me coming out. That gay baby swaddled in your arms. Yeah, maybe exactly. for you. Friend. I was maybe one and a half you. years old in gay years. <laughs> And um, the editor, the editors <laughs> of the magazine, one of them texted me and they said, and I don't even know how he got my number. He said, he said, um, it was Friday and he says, um, gay wine night happens every Friday at this address. Only gays can come. You're invited. Bring wine. This and is I, some eyes wide shut shit. I know. And I was just like, I was like, what? And I was like, how did they know? Like, you know, like the most homosexual person you ever met. But they, but they, um, I didn't know that the, the editors were actually in a relationship. Um, and I had never picked up on that. They invited me over. I brought a box of Triscuits as well. Cause I was like, oh, Triscuits go with like cheese, cheese and Triscuits. And like, please tell me this is also the first, your first threesome. Um, I know. Well, okay. So I go, I walked to their house with a bottle of wine, Triscuits, um, <laughs> I don't know why that's so Which charming. I know. So Brand's cute. dinner, five nights out of seven these it, days. Well, it yeah. really set the bougie standard for me because I walked in the house, all the lights were turned off. It was just candles lit all around the room. And there was like smooth jazz playing. Accurate. And Accurate. then there were like mm-hmm. three gays sitting in the ta- sitting in a corner table laughing and talking about Hillary Clinton. Ah! And they were just like, <laughs> they were just like, you know, sharing inside jokes and cheersing and like all this stuff. And on the table was like, like stuffed figs and like um <laughs> like nine different kinds of oh cheeses God. and fresh grapes and like this a is so cheese board and like uh. and like this huge bottle of wine it was the carlo rossi bottle of wine sitting in the middle of the table that's, okay, also that's got, less that got, baggy this that is got way... me through college and, oh yeah and yeah. that i did and i went there i'd never felt i've never been in a space that was only gay people before that had right. never happened to me mm. so it was the first space that i ever entered that was solely gay people and i became addicted to it and I did gay wine night virtually every single night I could um, on Fridays in the duration of my college career. Um, Like it was the first gay space for me and I try to recreate it every chance I get. If Mm. I can invite people over only only queer people to come in and experience that space i'll do it if we I had it as brunch today yeah exactly it was, yeah. it was amazing i feel like um i mean i could certainly give that sort of very similar tale where it's like my the gay organization in college was the first like truly gay space that i inhabited but i feel like i gay or like a gay club or yeah well at haverford it's the sexuality and gender alliance and like you would go and i mean certainly what straight an people could come. Title. right <laughs> it's very haverford it was also a very crunchy sort of like group of people which is lovely and i loved it but like that's not really me mm-hmm. um but prior to that because i went to this like ridiculous all boys school in ohio gay. um well <laughs> Well, no, but it was like, 
there were a couple of boys who were a year ahead of me who were gay, and they weren't quite as out as I was, actually. And um, is this when you started meeting in the basement of the Parmatown Mall? Or <laughs> <laughs> the f- Sorry, you forgot that. I was the- just waiting for Tommy. <laughs> I knew Tommy no, was going to that. No, that gay space was created um, prior to high school. Okay. That's another story. <sighs> Um, that is another story. Stay tuned. No, but like Dennis I would, hooked up on some furniture in the basement of the barbecue. <laughs> oh my god, Tommy, Tommy, you're blowing the punch. <laughs> you're blowing the story. Well, the story is still pretty good. Um, there no. is some blowing in it as well. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, that was a low blow. <laughs> no, but that was also hilarious. Okay, so um, older gay people at, oh, at school. Yeah, they were a year ahead of me, and so like I came out when I was 15, and I didn't even have a driver's license, and they like were juniors, and they all had a car, and they all had like driver's license. So we would just get together, and we would like go to the movies. We would like like there were a few gay movies that had come out. We would just like do different things, and they just kind of took me under their wing, and so I felt like that was just like like one of these guys had a bright yellow Jeep Cherokee that was his car, and I felt like. Yeah. Well, yes. Aww. And he hated the car, but he had wanted something else, but that's what his parents got him. But like, so it was like a symbol of of not only uh, like queerness, but also independence. Maybe yeah, queerness oh, sure. and independence, and also constructing your own space in your circumstances. And like, it had mm-hmm. it had mm. to move, right? Like we had, we had to be mobile. We couldn't just create that at one of our houses every week or something like that. And they also weren't like my best friends. They were just like guys that I went to school with. But in that school, we we needed. Um, to be able to be connected in that way. Like I needed to be able to go through my day and know that several times a day I would see them in between classes and we could chat and say something faggy mm-hmm. or like sneer at like the straight boys or something in order to give ourselves that armor. But the other gay space that I want to talk about briefly that I felt like I inhabited was that at that same time in high school, I was a competitive figure skater and my coach was well, a gay man. Yeah. yeah. Well, gay and the figure skating as a sport and as an institution is really interesting because I feel like there's actually for as many gays as are in that sport and are kind of running that sport, there was also a lot of anti, um, a lot of conservatism. It was a very sort of elite sport. And so, like, I remember I tweeted... And you have to be probably, like, pretty wealthy. And you have to be pretty wealthy. It's a, it's a, there's, there's not a ton of access in the sport for many people who are sort of different from being heterosexual and white and, and well off. And so I remember like a few years ago at nationals, they had like behind the kiss and cry area where skaters go with their coach to sit to get their scores. Um, the background was, did you call it the kiss and cry area? That's what it, that's what it's called. It's called the kiss and cry. It's called the kiss and cry. That sounds pretty gay to me. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I love my memoir. (laughs) (laughs) Sitting in the kiss and cry. The the Sister to the Sip and Twirl? Oh, <laughs> oh my god, yes. The Kiss and Cry happens wish- after the Sip and Twirl. <laughs> yeah, um, literally. <laughs> um, the, the background was an ad, it was just Puffs, was like sponsoring the event, like like Puffs Tissue, and so it was all these like lips and hearts. And I was like, I think US figure skating finally, like I tweeted, I think US figure skating has finally come out of the closet. But it's like a conversation in the sport. But for me in my localized area... Um, I my coach was a gay man, so my mentor. So like, he mm-hmm. would drive me to competitions. Like, we spent time together, um, both on the ice and sort of like, um, him supporting me through, you know, like putting myself out in front of an audience and in front of judges and being judged, which I think was really incredible. And so that felt hmm. like a like a little small gay space that was in a larger space that helped me to figure out how to navigate. Um, and create my own sort of gay spaces in a larger, right. not gay context. Do you think too? I, I like the fact that um, this like yellow Jeep Grand Cherokee or whatever was mm-hmm. a, a symbol of of queerness for you, because I mean there is a storied history of the car as being a gay space. Right. Yes. Why does it, why is it called cruising? Oh, why, you know? yeah, right. I mean, who, yeah, my, so the number of my first. I, I guess this is true for all teenagers, but like. It, the necessity of it would have been even more intense for me that a lot of my earliest sort of sexual experiences with other guys were in cars. And you know what I mean? Like Fran revealed a few episodes ago that his right. first time was in a minivan. It was in mm-hmm. a blue, a deep blue family minivan. Wow. <laughs> that was absolutely where I lost my virginity. But like, I love, I love the idea of that kind of being something that's coded as gay, at least in your memory. I also right. just read a tweet from, if you, if you don't read the work of John Birdsall, he's a gay food writer. He's so amazing. Um, but he was just tweeted that he was reading an article and found out that in the late 1800s in New York bars, the presence of absinthe, on the menu of a bar was code that it was an okay space for gay men wow. to be. Mm. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. I That's, love that little I mean, morsel. it's like a modern version of the Underground Railroad in a way. Not to compare homosexual oppression to slavery, but the idea that there's like coding in their symbols. The hanky code. Or yeah. like when you go like, to I a love bar. all of it. Or when you go to a bar and they, they're like filming like, um, uh, 
like you know breakfast at tiffany's like <laughs> on yeah, the yeah, side yeah. it's like not a gay yeah. bar but like you know yeah. fucking rami and michelle's high school reunion is oh on my TV. god you're like oh yes. so this is a gay space i like yes I yes sometimes, oh, joe i'm curious yeah, yeah, to know yeah. what were what your experience yeah, with so gay spaces I, are like, this none of this says anything to me or my per- personal history i'm from Ooh. the country the country so my answer is no you like, were your gay space i had nothing <laughs> Really? Like, it was a, people at that time in my hometown. It's like if you were effeminate, it was like a violent space to be. There mm. was no mm. safe space. There just wasn't. It was nothing. There, it wasn't like I lived hours from a city. There was no gay books. There was no gay anything. Pop culture wasn't even, you know, Will and Grace hadn't happened. This was like the early 90s and gay men were dying. So it was like all of this. It, it, the only safe, I, I would say AOL chat rooms. Hmm. Oh my god! And it's it's interesting because I wasn't even necessarily again. I I identify as queer, and I I was always very different, and I was effeminate, so I was bullied for that. But I was attracted to women, so I wouldn't say I I self-identified as being gay. But I was bullied very badly for being smart and nerdy and and not super butch, right? And I would just go. I remember it's so sad actually. I would go into these AOL chat rooms. Um, where everyone would just kind of like flirt, you know, it was just like, I'm 14 M I'm like a, I'm a, you know, 14 female, whatever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would just pretend to be this person that I wasn't. And I would just kind of mimic the people who had been bullying me and I wouldn't bully other people, but I would just, would pretend to be self-assured. I would pretend to be someone who would like have people have a crush on them. And I I had Mm. none of that. I just had no. And then when I got to college, I went to a very, I went to a very liberal, I went to liberal arts college. Um, but it was a, such a small school, and so many people came from similar places to me that they had so much uh, internalized shit that the mm. game in there were horrible. Yeah. Mm. Um, they actually, when I first came to campus, and again, I was just nerdy and effeminate. I had crushes on girls. I didn't identify as queer at that time. Um, and I would sometimes look at gay porn and sometimes look at straight porn. Um, but they called themselves the gay mafia. There were these out gay men on campus, and they made it a mission to out people. <gasps> and so they had. Oh my God, that's disgusting. They had someone in the IT department. Who could look at every website that everyone on campus is looking oh, at, no. and they would search for people who for, for, who looked at gay porn, and they had an uh, internal list that they shared with each other of like not yet gay. Um, and I had a person who knew someone on that thing, and I found out that I was on that list, and it was just it was just so horrible. It made in college. I was That's I awful. only ever came out. I came out to a couple people in college and it was the women that I was dating. And I came out to them as like, at that time I, I was like, I'm bisexual. I also have crushes on men. It wasn't. And they, the, the women, the straight women that I dated in college were the most accepting people. Mm. They were my gay space okay. at that time. <sighs> the gay men were awful. Well, J- we, they are um, awful though. Awful. I'm That's so awful. sorry. Then, I, mean, as, I mean, as a card carrying member within the third or fourth tier of the <laughs> New York city chapter of the gay mafia, I am currently <laughs> pulling up my phone and texting them to let them know that, those are not affiliate them they they're, are not they're, affiliated they're, with us the, the Northfield we'll Minnesota chapter yes. is kicked the fuck out I'm sorry they are not in, they were, they were not ever they, were they ever no let's be honest they were not officiated they did not get inducted <laughs> we will take them down they're just posers sorry so I will yeah. say that I never because I never had a, a gay bookstore uh, and I when I moved to New York it was gay bars and I love gay bars let's, I could let's be, talk a little bit know, about gay bars let's pivot to gay bars um, and just, I need to be around my faggots. I'm curious about all y'all's first experiences at a gay bar. Okay, mine was terrible. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, so I mine was... Fran jumped at the microphone. I'm just so like, sorry. I'm so excited to tell you this very brief story about how um, I drove to New York for spring break with one of my friends in theater club um, from Indiana University. I was like maybe 19, so underage. Um, however, and... Um, rest in peace except don't rest in peace you goddamn motherfucking pieces of shit on um, the club <laughs> splash hosts a, yeah. i know 18 year old 18 year old night or they something did. like it was that a thursday Tw- oh it's called no it's tuesday it's twink tuesdays at splash oh my um God. and i walked up to the bar i had an id that said i was like 19 and they're like okay you can get in i was going with my friend chelsea and they said she can't get in oh gross and i was <laughs> like I was like, what? Yes. And I was like, I was like, this is awful. And I was like, no, can you please let my friend in? And I was like feeling really shy. It was not really the kind of bad bitch that I um, can be now when I like chew up and eat door girls for breakfast. But um, I, I need to see that happen. Oh, it's not pretty. Um, but I, I was just like, oh no, please let my friend in. And so the owner of the bar, Dougie, if you're listening, you can rot in hell, splash Dougie. Um, he comes out and he was like talking to the barman and he saw that me and this and Chelsea and the security guard were like in a bit of a kerfuffle. And he walks over and he goes, it's okay, baby. It's okay. You can get it. You and your friend can get it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I was like, okay. 
um, thank you so much. We're all the way from here from Indiana, like blah, blah, blah. And he was like being really cute. And you could tell that this dude, Dougie, like just created Twink Tuesday so he could like hook up with like underage men. <sighs> um, and so yeah, he. Fuck Dougie. What kind of grown man goes by, by Dougie, Dougie anyway? Dougie, yeah. Well, the, <laughs> the, the story takes an unfortunate turn. Um, you I'm going into. Did. No, I'm going. Oh my God. Fran <laughs> fucked Dougie. Oh my God. No. Oh my God. Fran fucked Dougie. Fran talked Dougie. <laughs> I would never fuck Dougie. <laughs> I walk into the okay, you guys. I walk into the bar. I'm walking into the bar. Dougie's hounding after me. He comes up and he goes, "So you came all the way from Indiana, huh?" And I was like, "Oh yeah," like trying to like fiddle in to be like, "Thanks for letting me and my friend get in. You can leave me alone now." He goes up to me, grabs like my waist, and then moves down to like my ass area. Then feels the flask that I have hiding oh. in my like butt in my like butt pant and he's like in your what's butt. this reaches into like my pants pulls out my flask and he goes get out oh. and I was like oh yeah. so that was my first experience with a gay bar and also yeah. because he felt down where your butt would should be. have been. <laughs> should, should, should yes. have been. Yes. That is so rude because Tommy knows that I'm the most insecure about my butt size. I, the only reason why I'm saying that is because I don't have an ass neither. So okay. I'm just saying no butt solidarity. It's okay, just like it goes you. straight can, from like back to ankle. Can we talk I'm about so, so it's negative. that problem? So I say gay spaces are, you know, gay bars are a very safe space for me and I get a lot of like. Uh, community from them but can we talk about how they can be fucking awful to women and some of the misogyny and like a safe space for gay men to be honest with you that's why I don't go to gay bars very often because I'm suspicious of any place that is majority men yeah I feel that yeah I I get that it's it's very rare can we talk about how we I, I wish that there were more queer spaces that were like every gender Every different person. Yeah. All fucking yeah. faggots. I prefer mixed crowds, yes, yeah, to be absolutely. honest with you. But like, there's, yes. a, there's a bar. Mixed crowds are almost always straight. But there's a bar called Branded in, mm. um, I think, Prospect Heights, maybe? Writing it down. And it's, Branded uh, Saloon? Branded Saloon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've, oh, I've read there. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. like that place. They have like a, a venue in the back, and they have mm-hmm. a bar in the front. And it's like, it, it was voted like New York's best non, uh, non-gay non gay bar right right, right. yeah so it's like about right i love it and it's also like more diverse in terms of like brown people too yes it is i love non-gay gay gay bars for that reason but uh, in in gender i do feel like there are a lot more women in those spaces Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i totally agree which i appreciate gay men are trash to women did you ever see um uh, uh true blood Mm-hmm. So in no, True Blood, the vampi- there's a vampire movie. There's a vampire te- television show. God, I but, loved True Blood. But the conceit of True Blood is that like the more time that vampires spend with humans, mm-hmm. like the better and more um, uh, uh, sort of moral and they get. And, human they become. and yeah. the more they spend time with other vampires, the more vicious they become. And I always thought that was such a metaphor for gay men. Oh, absolutely. Well, it, it may have intentionally been. I mean, it's, it's, it was it was Ryan Murphy, wasn't it? Even though I no. hate that fucking. No, show. no, no. Um. Ryan, Ber- Alan Ryan Ball. Murphy would. Alan Ball? I don't, I don't know remember who it was. We'll, fi- we'll, f- we'll, fig- we'll figure Alan it Balls. out. Um, you no, know, but it was a gay... The person who created True Blood, the TV show, was a gay man. And um, I think it's a pretty well-known... Like, I, True Blood came out when I graduated... Like, right when I graduated from college. And it I was, was a really gay show. It. Yeah. It and it was gay. known to be kind of an allegory for... Um, homosexuality and so the political movement that that takes place in the show was like an allegory for the gay rights movement so like they would refer to people who outed themselves as vampires or were outed as vampires as being outed coming out of the coffin was the phrase oh yeah Um, (laughs) I'm so sorry there were in the opening song it would like in the opening scene which was amazing um, the camera would like drive it was God Hates Fangs which is it was like a very obvious okay I feel like it was Alan Ball but I'm not sure I'm sorry I can't participate in, in this conversation as you guys know, I do keep a running Evernote in my phone of set in stone deal breakers. Um, and one of them is if they've seen more than one season of True Blood. Wow. I've seen you all can of them. fuck all the way up. <laughs> yes. I can't believe you're saying um, Okay, I'm sorry. I've, I dated a guy that like, loved True Blood, and I, I was like, that's it. <laughs> I it was very it. obvious that the show went to shit after the second, like after the first season. The My first season point was brilliant, exactly. yeah. but I still watched all of it. You think, right. you guys, out of obligation, yeah, Actually, I, I, I feel obliged. Yeah, to. I feel I obli- a, obligated. Yeah. I have TV a question shows. for you, Fran, as someone mm-hmm. who's a, a half a generation younger than oh. the rest of the thoughts. Oh, nervous. Was, was Boy, part, speak for yourself. No, 
That's just a fact. We are proud gay aunties. Okay, me and Joe <laughs> are proud gay yes. aunties. Um, I like was, to think of myself as in the middle was, of all of you. Was t- well, I mean, that's just because you're. That's what you like to be. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, um, can was was I'm pop culture were were things like Will and Grace uh, a, a gay space for you? Like, was that because I kind of think about you know for someone who like me who grew up in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, pop culture seeps in, right? Mm-hmm. It is, you can turn on a TV in a fucking small town. So, if I can talk about that, because Will and Grace had a huge impact for me being in Ohio, being in a really religious family and really sort of religious um, context. Um, Will and Grace, I have a very interesting relationship with that show because I think it was brilliant. I think it was hilarious. And it was definitely a huge factor in helping me sort of codify my identity as a gay man. Um, because it was in its heyday when I was in like fifth or sixth grade all the way up through, um, hmm. I think my sophomore year of college. So that timing works out really well. The problem with Will and Grace was that because specifically because that show was the only representation of homosexuality I had until I became a figure skater. Um, <laughs> To be fair, and a violist. Um, well, classical music is classical music is interesting as it's well. Pretty straight. These they're they're just both areas that are sort of very elite, and so they have these really conservative streaks in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being in the Midwest, there's also a part of that. But but there was a time before I came out. Like I knew that I was attracted to boys. Like as early as first grade, I had crushes on like the other boys. But because of Will and Grace explicitly, I thought to myself, oh, I can't be gay. That's a white thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, and that had a, and that, because of that thinking for quite a long time, longer than I probably needed to, I just thought, like, I didn't have access to being gay. Right. But I couldn't and be gay. I, it, I mean, the it, counterpoint it, to that. It affirmed the idea that something was wrong with me um, because I was like, oh, that can't happen to right. me because I have no, brown skin. And, like, and Noah's no Ark was incredible. Can we talk about Noah's Ark? Yeah. How incredible. It was, Noah's Ark. Well, but, it was. But the that was, was on logo. Yeah. So not only. And did that you was have when I was in college. Cable, so can you tell me what Noah's Ark was? Noah's yeah. Ark was a show on logo that was. It was actually the first show on logo. It was black gay men. And so it was. A, it was a. a you mean a like the first uniquely scripted show? On. Like no, like logo launched with Noah's Ark. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like number um, one. Mm-hmm. You know, so it has certain things in common with Will and Grace, and it's just a bunch of people, friendships, kind of queer relationships, sex. But it's it's black gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the very first time I ever saw that represented. Um, in like sort of mass media, like not necessarily literature, because by that point I had encountered James Baldwin. Right. But um, I mean. And, but I encountered them all around the same time because I believe Logo was launched when I was either 20 or 21. Um, and so I was a sophomore or a junior in college. And that was around the time that I probably first um, became exposed to James Baldwin as well. And mm. sort of the legacy of homosexuality within the sort of history of black literature and like the black run- right. the Harlem Renaissance and all of I that. A, I have a question about that. And I think that this comes back to the goes from the bar back to the bookstore. Um, I think that for the rest of us who didn't have a gay bookstore, um, a kind of our, our literary intellectual selves, which is also mm-hmm. super faggy, but that lives in kind of a, spa- a separate place mm. as our like gay bar safe spaces self. And and I do say that I'm jealous. I'm, I'm straight up jealous yes. of having a place like a gay bookstore, a physical embodiment where like, that is this podcast, right? That is, that can be slutty, that can talk about sex. Because gay bookstores also always have like, you know, sexual images or books mm-hmm. about gay yes, sex, right. but yeah. that is also just about loving books and loving reading and being kind of nerdy and meeting other people at mm-hmm. kind of at that intersection without the expressed um, pressure to hook up. Right. right. Because, right. because the, at the gay bar, I mean, the reason why the freaks come out at night, you know what I mean, yeah. is to like freak around. So it's like there, there is a sort of pressure to hook up with somebody innately. I don't, I'm not saying so it's there in, all the time, but in the, in the gay bookstore, there's the possibility without the pressure. Yeah. Is what right. you're saying. And That's there's what I also, loved about it. Yeah. yeah. And there's also, you know, uh, the gay or the vintage gay erotica and like the smut magazines yeah. next to. Eve Kosofsky, Cedric, and Judith and Butler, Butler yeah, and Baldwin, you know, yeah. and like intellect. So like, and they were all just you know, if that. it's if it's an actual bookstore, it's squished into one section, and that's a beautiful thing, and also a sad thing. But in a bookstore, it's just like all of these things are yeah. like right next to each other, and they coexist. And everyone who enters the bookstore will not think twice about it. Honestly, right? yeah. my you know? favorite space in New York that ever existed was this gay cafe called Rapture, and mm, it was what around a name. I know I, it was in the East <laughs> Village. I think it was probably before. 
y'all lived here i've lived here for a minute (laughs) and um i was making zines at that time so it was a place i could go and leave zines and they had like a bookstore inside of it and a cafe and you would just like run into a ton of queer people right right. not just gay men but a ton of queer people who would go there to to, there were like book clubs happening there there were sewing circles like lesbian sewing circles and shit like that it was just there was so there was a proliferate idea Mm -hmm. of like queerness that wasn't necessarily based on sexuality Mm, right right right. does does are there any spaces in new york does the bureau for example which is a gay bookstore that is here now that doesn't that doesn't do that for you um the bureau does not really the bureau the gay bookstore that that is inside of the gay center in new york city right now although it it offers a a venue space and a space for uh i think we've all literature yeah Yeah. it but but the focus is oftentimes on like white dick yeah, and well, it also is the West Village. Also. It, but it also is not like a safe space for me, right? Because they recently had an event called How. Oh my God! With uh, a picture of Melania Trump in a quote-unquote Indian princess costume, right. and the event copy had nothing. I mean, the thing is, it was just the name and the picture, and she was making the the sort of traditional How hand sign. That is um, a staple in racist depictions of American Indian people in the history of American cinema. And I felt so betrayed by them. Yeah. I felt yeah. so fucking betrayed because well, I didn't deal with it well. They I was just like, good riddance. Well. Your bookstore smells like farts. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Also, I'm sorry. A lot of gay bars smell like farts. I just want to create that PSA, well, put it out there. Yeah. I could open up yeah. a, a gay bar in Williamsburg right now and the tagline could be, does not smell like farts and people would be <laughs> flooding except into it probably would the, after a day because it's in brooklyn and because it is a gay bar so but, but yeah it's kind of, it is really it is like i was so i was sick to my stomach when i yeah. saw that facebook in my because i had gone to the bureau before i talked to those people yeah. we've stocked hello mister in that bookstore like yeah i felt so fucking betrayed because i was just like that you couldn't have put like five more minutes of thought into this. You couldn't yeah. have like been a good person and like really sat on this one. So like, it's, it's just funny how gay bookstores can be such a safe space, but at the same time that the, the, the safeness around gayness is often, a, a you know, a, a white, upper middle class and that, that can do those space, same spaces which can be so safe for some people can do like literal violence to like other people who Damage aren't trauma, in that, all of that yeah you know so we would call them quote unquote safe spaces right, right, i'm gonna right, pivot right. a little bit now yes. um after talking about the gay bookstore and the gay bar as these sites and sanctuaries i also want to talk about gay music ah! because mm-hmm. i think that um songs can help people format queerness as well you know, yeah. and I mean, like, what is a gay without the fucking like? What 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 would gayness? What would gay quote unquote culture be without disco? You know what I mean? Right. Without like, it, it not only in a historical sense, but in like a, a personal and an ongoing sense. I'm curious because Dennis's friend Fred, what's his name? Fred, yeah, mm-hmm. um, Fred McKendra. Fred McKendra, who had recently had a an article on BuzzFeed. Um, what was the title of it? Like so, something about gay porn. It's about, it's about gay porn, about teaching sexuality through gay porn, basically. Yeah. And he had this quote in it: um, "And straight people's instructions on how to get a man and keep him, on how <laughs> to keep yourself when you needed to leave him, or most vitally, when you wanted him and that sentiment was unrequited." These were embedded in the lyrics of the girls I sang along to, Coco and Mary J. Blige and Monica. Right. But yeah. where were mine? Oh, I went to church. I'm at church right now. I know. Excuse me. Let me put on my church hat. Well, Fred will take us all to church because he is quite possibly the smartest person I know. So, but but that's why I mean that's why gay men have divas, right? Because we can when you sing along to a diva, the gender pronouns are right. So when a gay man sings Mm, along to a diva, you're talking about a heartbreak and the man that's done you wrong. But you can do that in a way where, like, if you're just singing along to a song, it doesn't necessarily out you in and of itself, right? You can Mm -hmm. do it. It's it's kind of a safe space, if you will to like sing about your heartbreak Mm. but also that's kind of like idol worship especially for people i don't know i know this isn't everyone's experience but when i i exited christianity and entered a gay community it was it was one to the other there was no overlap um so when i left a god that i believed in i entered into a queer space and found new idols to worship Mm -hmm. and i the first two albums that i ever purchased were gwen stefani's love angel music baby and um destiny's child album with survivor on it Mm. and so writing on the wall yes no Um, that was the 
No, no, no. It was Survivor was the next album. It was the one with he, the black he's, cover. He's younger. It's called Survivor. I think it's Survivor. I actually don't know. I'm really ashamed. Writings on the Wall was one of my first albums that I ever bought, though. And and th- that to me was I have a very vivid memory of playing Lose My Breath on my Walkman and then being like, what's going on? My booty won't stop shaking. I should, I should go see a doctor. This is completely involuntary. But like, I was a kid. I was a complete loser. I was, I was, um, I had no friends. I was, I grew up a total loser. I was super awkward and still am, I guess. Um, so the, Feeling sexy was a completely unknown thing to me. And that's how oh, that's, yeah. those songs yeah. made me feel. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. Lose My Breath, which is so mm-hmm. hot. Like, the whole song is just orgasm noises. Baby, bye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so, um, that to me is, is my, oh my those God. are my firsts into, like, idol worship and queer music. So we're going to have to wrap this up. I feel like I'm full, but I could fit one more thing inside of me. (laughs) What would that be? So we're going to move on to our final segment, the dessert of our conversation. And our dessert this week is punching Nazis in the face. I'm, I would like watching on a loop. I, uh, I would like, would you like to take the reins? I mean, I I, I don't know. I mean, I just, so my college girlfriend who is still one of my best friends in the world uh, and was one of, one of my soulmates, her father is a, a professor of um, of criminal justice, and when I was a little college baby, I was very like liberal white boy, and and we were having a conversation about violence, uh, and I was like, I just don't believe that you know any movement that starts in violence will end in anything other than violence, and he just like laced into me with like you know it's his scholarly work with like. Scholars of being, you know, like looking at post like anti colonial struggle, looking at black struggle in America. Uh, and so I, th- I, you know, I kind of in this conversation about vi- like whether or not it's okay to do violence, mm-hmm. um, I think that one of the big things that actually, speaking of Milo in particular, um, Milo, oh, blah, 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 oh my God, um, yeah, yeah. So he goes to all these college campuses and does awful things where he tries to. Tries to get undocumented people uh, outed and kicked off the campus. He tries to out trans people and have violence done to them. So he is literally mm-hmm. inciting violence, mm-hmm. but says, "Oh no, the the left is crazy." I'm using words. It's free they're, speech. They're, mm-hmm. uh, free speech. That's not violence. Violence is punching someone. Punching someone is wrong. But when I go to a campus and try to get someone deported, I'm just talking, mm-hmm. right? So uh. there's a whole theater- theoretical framework that says, "No, that's actually violence too." So there's systemic violence. There's interpersonal violence. All of these things d- does harm to bodies. Um, and so, what was the name of that Nazi? Uh, Milo. The guy, no, that got punched in the face. Oh, I, oh, Spencer. Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer. So, generic name. Who ever. also like sounds super gay. Mm, We're not and claiming lo- and him. Looks but super gay. And looks the super gay. The yeah. undercut in the suits, you yeah. guys. Uh huh. Yeah. But anyway, watching him get punched in the face, I. So good. Uh, I first of all, I found it extremely satisfying. Second of all, I mm-hmm. loved what everyone did with it on the internet. I the watched songs? it with the soundtrack the to me- um, yes. Uh, yes. Celine Dion was on one of them. Yes. No. Whitney and. Yeah, no, the wrecking ball. <laughs> oh, oh my god, I didn't see that one. So I missed that. Good. But I, I have to see it. Good job, I, internet. I, I thought about it, and and uh, you know, I was reading about people uh, calling out violence and 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 saying that it, like violence against anyone is wrong. And I just wanted, to, I just asked those people, like, and I put it on Twitter, and it got like it blew up. But it was like yeah. for all those people who are you know uh, 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 putting calling into question violence right now, what do you think about police brutality? Right, mm-hmm. but it's like when when. <sighs> Oh God, I'm hesitant to say this because I'm not really um, defending Richard Spencer. But when he gets punched in the face, what's the conversation that happens after that that moves us forward? Other than all of us feeling really good, I just knocked over my glasses. I mean, of rose it's, it's catharsis, and it, the good thing that <laughs> right, it does, but, but catharsis but, but isn't so, moving us so forward. I think, is I, think it? I think people would argue that white supremacists not being comfortable in public actually is good. Mm. That that is mm. an act that minimizes violence. If white supremacists don't come to university campuses because they're worried about getting beat up. Right. Then they won't be able to do okay. violence to undocumented people on those campuses. There we go. I might be here I, for that. Exactly I mean, that's why we talk about, like, I mean, in the reason why all of this is happening and the reason why there is value to what Joe is saying about white supremacists not feeling comfortable in public is because um, 
President Terracotta Slob or the fascist Cheeto, because we do not say his name on air, snaps um, snaps, snaps, has snaps. given permission for people who have had these feelings for long, right. for for decades, really, to come out to of kind of come out of the woodwork and yeah. say them and to air them and to well, bring not them just to say light, them, but to, to, like, to act on them, to, to commit violence, them. to commit to, violence, to, to commit all kinds. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so. My opinion may have shifted here because before yeah. I was like, no, there's not a lot of value in that tack. All right. On that note, thank you for breaking bread with us today. Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé. Our engineer is Alex Mead Fox at Spaceman Sound Studios in the heart of Industrial Greenpoint, New York. And our producer is the transcendent Alexandra De Palma. I'm Tommy Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs, H-E-Y-T-E-B-S on all relevant social media. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squish Co. at any social media you want. And I am Dennis, and you can find me at the Earl Denden, T-H-E-E-A-R-L-D-E-N-D-E-N on Twitter. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes that will catapult us to fame, fortune, and inevitably Betty Ford. Find us on Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Sign up for our newsletter for episode insights, reading lists, and extra delectable content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. And finally, email us with your questions, thoughts, concerns, and we just might answer them on our Penny for Your Thoughts segment at Thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thought spelled how? T-H-O-T. Thanks for listening. See you in a couple weeks. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.